Just give it's... every score for every video game a 69 out of 10. Yes. Done. Yes. This is it. Forever. We solved it. Welcome to the Glasshouse Game Show, recorded here in Brick Lane, London. I'm Samantha Greer, and joining me today are Shay. Hello. Alex CG. Hi there. And our special guest today is Joel Otterson. (laughs) Hello. um, From Bear Waves. Bear Waves Studio? Bear Waves Productions? I think technically we're Bear Waves Limited, but that's not Oh, Limited. Oh. Today we're going to be talking uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, consumer activism and boycotts. Um, but first, has anyone had anything interesting going on in their week? Come we're on. in a pandemic, so there's no pressure here. It's quite understandable. <laughs> this no. this is what happened Apart to me. My, oh. my CG, webcam. tell us this tale this is, of this is why I'm coming to you horrible. from a new angle today, because I came in and my, my camera was sabotaged by this broken adapter. So getting a frontal shot. That's the most interesting thing that's happened all week to me. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Apart from hating the hell out of the rain, like there's nothing. There's been nothing going on. I'm just glad it's cold. Oh. Uh, what did I do this week? I got back into Dark Souls again. Whoa, danger, <laughs> dangerous, dangerous. So that's cons- like I got that. Uh, you died. The book by oh, oh. Jason. Kim. Did you know I'm in that? Book? Are you in that book? Sam is in that book. I haven't got to that. There's book yet. a there's a bit where I talk about cosplaying. Uh, as, as I haven't got to that yet. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. But immediately I was just like, I need to play Dark Souls. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, are you? What are you playing on? Switch. Oh damn it! I was gonna be like, oh, if you're playing on PC, I might join you. I have it on PC as well, but I'm playing on Switch because I thought it'd be nice to play Dark Souls. I was thinking of getting a Switch, but uh, I haven't yet. It's quite expensive. Nintendo games is a wee bit, not yeah, cheap. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're talking today about yeah, uh, Joanne Rowling, consumer activism and boycotts. Um, and yeah, I guess the thing that sort of prompted this and has made this quite relevant um, recently is the situation with um, the new game that was announced, um, Hogwarts Legacy, which was being made by Warner Brothers. And um, basically, yeah, there's a discussion about, you know, like the studio itself may not reflect and the game itself probably won't reflect any of her like transphobic views. It was quite, but she is presumably either materially or just by virtue of this increasing her like pop culture, like cachet and um, is going to benefit from this game. So there's been a discussion about should people buy it? You know, should they not? Um, and this is a line of like recently with a lot of like, there's been a lot more discussion I've noticed recently about problematic creators and when do you, you know, when do you buy a game and do you not buy? You know, you've had obviously Ubisoft at the moment, there's all the issues of sexual misconduct behind the scenes that's come out um, and still ongoing, um, still being investigated, still being dealt with. Um, um, you had the situation with Blizzard and Blitzchung and Hong Kong, the Hong Kong protests. Um, and then, of course, you, the, the ever prescient um, companies are crunching and it comes out. You've had it, you have it at the moment with CD Projekt Red. And um, working on Cyberpunk 2077, they've been they've announced that they are going to a six day work week, um, to get the game finished in time for their their release date, which is uh, otherwise known as a death ball. march. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is funny enough, the difficulty Coffee level in the Witcher. In the Witcher yeah. <laughs> um, Yikes. And 
And then you have, yeah, you had Rockstar as well um, with Red Dead Redemption 2. Crunch came out about that. Um, with Last of Us 2 as well, there was um, issues with Crunch and there was calls for, oh, maybe we shouldn't support these companies. Um, where do you all, like, draw the line? Where's, like, where's the point at which you, you hear something about a company and you're like, nah, I never, never would buy a game from them? You know? That's a good question. Um, Thanks. Yeah, no, it's a very good question. Because, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, because I think it would be hypocritical for me to be like, well, you know, I just, I'm so against crunch, which I am. For, I, I really am <laughs> against crunch. But, like, I did really enjoy The Last of Us 2, which I wasn't, expecting to do yeah. like a, that was a real surprise for me check out reflections mm. episode in that soon um but yeah and and you cannot divorce those two things for me in my mind um like to sort of zoom out a bit i guess like one thing for me is in my day-to-day -day life i try and adhere to like bds in in some in some capacity so like even with small things i, I don't buy um avocados that have come from israel for example like it's just bds um boycott divestment, boycott, divestment and, and sanctions that's sanctions. Yes. I always forget. Yes. Yes. Um, which I would implore some. Yeah. CG, if you know more about it, do you want to give like a very quick like overview? Because my brain is too smooth. <laughs> yeah. So 2005, <laughs> Palestinian civil society launched uh, the mass civil disobedience campaign under the rubric of boycott, divest, and sanctions that was sort of modeled on the South Africa anti-apartheid movement. And I think that's actually a good example because I was thinking about myself and just having, I think it, one, it's like how personal is something to you that, you know, affects you in a personal way. And just because that's something been a presence in my life for many years and knowing people from the region and, and stuff like that, that stuff feels very personal. So, you know, like I've always I like like fizzy drinks and I was like, oh, I want to get some device where I can like make my own soda. But, you know, Soda Stream is made in like settlements in the West Bank and stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. But I think a lot of what our conversation might be pointing to not to spoil the plot is like. There's, there's individual choices and then it's sort of like the larger context. Like what does a choice mean in the absence of a social movement? And what does it mean when there is sort of like a structure around which, you know, those choices can take on a greater meaning than just... Because you want to react to the kind of re the complacent or the right-wing thing to just say, oh, well, boycotts don't work. I mean, I think that's completely ahistorical. We can kind of like throw that one out because there's so much evidence of them working in history. But it's the question of what does it mean right now in the state, the state of gaming as it is and us as like consumers, so-called, like what would that choice look like? Uh, I am a big fan of piracy. I will say that, but let's, let's hear what other people have to say <laughs> before we get to that. Um, I would say I'm going to be using consumer, the, uh, the word consumer throughout this discussion, but I want to note that I do despise this word, um, <laughs> but that's the word I will be using. What about you, Joel? Mm. I, it's so... Mm -hmm. I, I think, think BDS is a, sorry, a, a good thing to um, highlight because there, there's a clear organization around that and there's, mm -hmm. there's people saying, please boycott this product. Like, please, please take mm -hmm. our side on this. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a little more difficult if uh, you hear things from, like, say, the workers who are exploited in a company that practices crunch or death march uh, that they... So I remember there was a thing with Red Dead Redemption 2 where a lot of Rockstar employees were saying, like, no, please do actually play this game. We worked really hard on this. Mm. Um I didn't play Red Dead Redemption 2 because I hate that kind of game. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I, that kind of gave me a bit of pause. And I was like, I don't really know where I come down on that game in particular. I think, I think there was a similar thing in Last of Us Part 2 where a lot of the devs, after the crunch came out, there was a bunch of devs. I will say 
a lot of the reports on crunch came from developers who had left last right. of us um left naughty dog so but a lot of the devs that were still there and were still working last of us to were saying oh no please you know we worked really hard on this you know that's the thing um and 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 but I mean, even that isn't necessarily black and white as much as like, oh, see, the devs want support because like, if you're working on a project, a dev's not going to be able, or very rarely is in a position to be able to come out even anonymously and say, actually, no, please don't. Like the company yeah. treats us terribly and stuff. And even for an individual employee, it may be conflicted where it may be a case of you want people to support the work you did, but you 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 don't approve of the circumstances under which you were forced to work. Um, I think it's very difficult to sort of. Yeah. especially from the outside to sort of have a perspective on yeah. like that. And like it gets even more, com I mean, we'll touch on this a bit later, I guess, but um, it gets even more complicated when you start looking into how uh, things like employee bonuses based on game reviews or game mm. sales work. Uh, so that's, that's when it's well, you're almost holding your employees hostage you like are, hey you better yeah. promote this game and make sure we get good because otherwise you don't get this yeah and this is still a labor issue and i've heard this used to excuse the uh the crunch that qas were put under at epic for example as like oh but they get massive bonuses it's like yes but if people are reliant on these bonuses to live then that's that's not you you're not a good guy here no. like you are holding mm. them hostage if i can chime in please um, astrid hello uh I think uh, another interesting, um, it, uh, another sort of interesting sort of um, thing to look at uh, external to video games, um, while still like dealing with this issue of like unethical companies and the requests the requests of workers. Um, all of the workers at Weatherspoons um, who uh, responded to loads of people saying, "Hey, we should boycott Weatherspoons," was like, "No, we're trying to." We're trying to get off the we're trying to get off the landing pad with like unionizing, and we're not going to be able to do that if um, if y'all boycott this company because then we're we're just going to get fired under the terrible working conditions that we that currently have. But the difficult thing there is, um, I've had uh, I've had a few uh, trans friends who have been to various Weatherspoons throughout the country, and the 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 way they've been treated by staff mm -hmm. in Weatherspoons. Uh, because they're trans um, has been like absolutely awful. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's one of those complicated nuanced things where you need to look at what the workers who are being exploited are saying about their conditions and what they want. Um, but sometimes, sometimes your personal convictions and your personal morals come into uh, factor as well. Um, and it, it, it just makes this whole discussion really challenging, I think. Yeah, I mean... I guess to bring it back to the the, the, the example that I brought up to begin with, um, Hogwarts Legacy, um, which incidentally I was never going to buy, um, but and just because I don't like Harry Potter, um, magical private school simulator, no thanks. Um, but uh, but I think the thing that I tweeted out at the time was that I I personally I'm not like I'm not super judgy like about anyone that does buy it, like you know like. It's fine, but I think the thing that frustrated me in that particular example was a lot of people use this excuse that, like, oh, if you don't buy this game, you're not supporting the developers, you know, and that's bad, so you should buy this game. Which is, and immediately, if you think about it for two seconds, an immediately absolutely ridiculous notion because, what, we're supposed to buy every video game ever made to support everyone that ever works in them. It's like, that's a preposterous thing. It, you're, make, you're always making choices. And I think that's an, an important thing. To remember. You're always making choices about what you buy 
and all all the the boycotts are really about is like the reasons why you're buying them really yeah i only see that argument like trotted out to support like games that are made under like poor conditions like it was think about the devs at quantic dream think about the devs at like ubisoft and stuff i'm like well no we're trotting out these excuses to defend practices and like ideologies that are poor and like really really terrible like i don't see that same rhetoric tried out for companies who are smaller who like make good games and you know are struggling in some i mean you had the the dead cell developers Mm. who did they have they had like a syndicate everyone got equal pay and stuff you didn't see it come out so much then it's like hey you better buy this game because this is this is the model under which you know like there was nothing like that and yeah yeah, i think it speaks volumes see people starting to support cooperatives yeah no you don't (laughs) which is yeah really frustrating and i think that kind of speaks to the whole like personal responsibility that people shy away from in that like because if you say oh you should boycott this thing or when there are calls to boycott specific like titles it then people take it so personally where they're like you're attacking the things that i like that's Mm. really bad and then being forced to think about like you know their you know proposed or potential complicity and is that a word Complicity. Is so. that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was like, is that a word? Make, make make I can <laughs> confirm <laughs> that complicity is a word. Thank God. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was going to say that what, maybe one of the things to think about as well is like, you know, when we think about boycotts in popular culture, there's sort of like, again, the, you, know, you can imagine like the, I feel like every sitcom in the world has an episode about like, damn hippies or something like that. That's the, that's the <laughs> popular conception of what a boycott is, but there's different levels to it as well, you know? So with JK Rowling, like with someone of that, cloud and her media empire and all those things there's you as an individual consumer but then there's also like the world that she exists in and you know conferences literary festivals and different things like that and there's a whole idea of platforming you know so and again to take an example from existing and past solidarity movements like you look at uh, the american anthropological association in the u.s that's a lot of like jewish activists and you know palestinian solidarity activists who you know, on an average level, you know, there's the individual person trying to not buy a particular thing or influence a store to do a particular thing. But at that level, you know, engaging academic boycotts or, you know, there's going to be a conference and J.K. Rowling is going to be a speaker, not inviting her or publicly saying, you know what, we don't need this person around. We can talk about her without her being here because of the effects of her actions. It, you know, there's rippling effects on different layers. So I think you know, we can think about what all of our roles are. Like, for example, not that she would come on, but if it somehow came up, you know, we I think we would all agree, you know, well, we're not going to invite, we're going to have J.K. Rowling on this show. There's no reason to, you know. Bye, so, Joanne. Um, yeah, so I think that's a, maybe trying to open up the concept from just this individual consumerist thing of do you buy it, yes or no, to like, I mean, you, I always, I used to get chills watching the uh, the Sun City video. This is like late, and the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa that that all these, this is like not the biggest action you know, the actions are mostly taken by the people on the ground in South Africa, but this was a moment late in the game when most people were starting to come around to the idea that apartheid was kind of bad, and you had this uh, resort in South Africa, Sun City where people would go to play for like entertainment and they would invite British people and international visitors and tourists, and there was all these artists getting together, artists against apartheid saying, well no, don't go there. Just don't go there. And it, it had an effect. You know, it got to a point where Sun City was kind of a bad name, you know, and people stopped going there. And anyway, I, I don't want to ramble too much. I, I was just going to end by saying there, there are people on the other side of things, like you said, there's workers who are affected and all that. But also, like, you know, you have to you do have to draw a line somewhere, whatever your personal decisions are and whatever movement you're a part of. You know, you could also talk about, you know, cops go home and they have lives as well. And maybe we shouldn't be so harsh on them. But Oof. You know, there's, there's, these things aren't, they're not, um, 
you know, we can't make everyone happy all the time, you know, and I think that we should try yeah. to, of course, but, you know, sometimes the, the, you know, a picket line is established and I don't know where that would be here, but maybe thinking about it in terms of the, yeah, the platforms rather than just do I buy it or not. And I, I think, um, I think it's important to remember that and touching your last point, I think companies know, like, I mean, like, yeah, like you mentioned, like, you know, cops and all these, you know, uh, you know, ICE in America, um, they, they trotted out the same rhetoric of, oh, well, these are people just doing their jobs. And it's like, and that may be true, but the companies know this. And it's, that is the, like, the human shield that a lot of them use yeah. to, like, put in place of any action against their practices. And I think it's important to remember that and think, you know, yeah, there is, there's always going to be a cost. And the thing that you have to weigh up is like, okay, but what is, what is the change that's worth making? What's, you know... Um, I think trying to, and I think there's maybe a problem we have in video games particularly is there's a very nicey nice thing about always trying to please everyone, always mm. trying to be nice, always trying to get along. There's not a lot of commitment to just being willing to like upset people and like, you know, make choices, make sacrifices to be like, yeah, we can't please everyone. Someone's going to lose out in this. But if we don't do this, then this is never going to change. And there's just going to be long term suffering. And, you know, I think that's a, you know, I think. I think people need to reckon with some of that, particularly in games. I see it a lot. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, but boycotts haven't always... Boy, boycotts are quite common, or calls for boycotts are quite common for games. Their their efficacy is <laughs> deeply varied. Um, but uh, but they, have, they have a history in games. Um, recently, you had uh, boycotts against Battlefield 1 and Battlefield 5. Um, the example of Battlefield 1 is for the inclusion of a, a black man in their campaign. The inclusion of black five, Battlefield 5, it was for inclusion of women... Um, I don't even think, like, necessarily in the campaign. I think it was just explicitly at the time that she was just on the cover advertising the game. That just that there was a woman in the game. That's enough. Like, um, uh, yeah, that is. Uh, it, it started before anything about the game came out. It yeah. was just the cover. Um, and then I may have been. I'm assuming it was probably the same with Battlefield One because I think he he was on the cover. So I think it was probably a similar situation. Oh my god, they they're including other people. No, no, absolutely not. And they just not in our war simulator. Don't make our war political. Um, <laughs> the, the worst, Don't do that. <laughs> the worst part. The worst part about um, so Battlefield Five was sort of a isn't a historical game in terms of its multiplayer. It very mm. explicitly leans away from that. Its campaign still is, and it does draw on real things. Battlefield One though, like explicitly was drawing on like real like real people real regiments and stuff so mm -hmm. these it's not like these were not people that did exist it's not like this they, they, I, I mean not that i would even have a problem if they did we're like oh we're just gonna make this up to be more inclusive that's mm. fine it's whole fiction yeah. like but that but that's not even the case it's like this was real and it's just like it was so ridiculous um but i think going all the way back i think like one of the first big ones of this which was sort of a, a foreshadowing of really toxic stuff to come like gamergate and stuff was the debacle around the mass effect 3 ending um, yeah. which got Spoil it for very me. out of hand I don't know it. very quick you know you know um, so back when Mass Effect 3 came out mad big big hype Mass Effect 3 was, was really big everyone was really excited and they had an ending so I think the, the interesting thing about this they had a bad ending right I think Mass Effect 3 has a bad ending but the interesting thing for me is that I don't think the, the reaction because they ended up with this really toxic reaction they were they were sending death threats to the writers, the, the, the developers. I think even this may have begun before, because I remember there was one of the Bioware devs. I don't know if this was before the Mass Effect 3 was released or after. But one of the Bioware devs had made a thing about, hey, you know, is it difficult if there's a 
if there's a like light story mode where you cut out all the story choices and you just have combat, why can't there be opposite where you just have the story and combat? Mm. And, sh- and she got like a lot of shit for it. Oh. Um, I think she ended up leaving Bioware and leaving the games industry. It was really fucking bad. Um, but yeah, around the Mass Effect 3, you had all this toxic response. But the thing that was interesting to me at the time was I don't think at all that the response was because it was bad, right? Because games are full of terrible fucking storytelling. Um, (laughs) And even Mass Effect itself. Mass Effect 2 ends with you fighting a giant robot baby. I mean, like, it's not exactly like... It's a scary robot baby. um, How dare you? That is the pinnacle of storytelling. Sorry. Sorry, I forgot. I I stand the robot baby. (laughs) She, like, 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 when the robot baby appears, you, like, pause the game and we're like... This They've done just, it again. This is art and it's <laughs> highest master <laughs> uh, But um but I think what the reason in for Mass Effect 3's particular case, um this is kind of interesting to me, was because it doesn't have a feel-good ending. The end of Mass Effect 3 is the the galaxy that you have fought to defend survives but is irreparably damaged. Like may and to to a degree that like all the people you care about are maybe cut off from each other. Like, you know, this this conflict that it was the center of the series has had a real massive repercussion. Like, like repercussion. Whoa. That's, that's, a, that's a Mass Effect um, joke I don't get, but I'll trust you. Oh. It's, it's not worth explaining. <laughs> <laughs> the, Reaper, the Reapers are the bad guys. Um, okay. But, like, but yeah, like at the end. In Firefly. Is that it? Anyway. Yeah, same thing. Um,. So, the, yeah, because you lose the mass relays, which is the foundation of their entire, like, network of, like, g- going between those, and that's destroyed. So, it's a really, it's, like, it's a very, very bitter sweet ending. It's, you know, like, you do save, you do stop the Reapers one way or another, and I think the, the three choices you're faced with at the end are wild and bullshit and so silly. Like, one of them is just, like, hey, do you think humans and robots should be one? And I'm, like, one, how does that work? And two... I don't feel like I'm qualified to make that decision no, for every you, life form in the galaxy. Um, My but- personal favorite is where you shoot uh, the little hologram child and they're like, well, I mean, if you're going to be that way, fuck you. We're, We're going to gonna... damn you to like eternity <laughs> that was, yeah, that was with like... the. Oh, I forgot about the hologram child. Yeah. So that was with the extended deal. So to plactate this, then Bioware did release, uh, I don't know if they were always intending to or what, but they released an extended yeah. cut DLC which expanded the ending, including adding this choice where you can you can just refuse and shoot the thing and then it, and it just comes up in text, well, the Reapers win, bye, game over. Um, and, That's what we deserve, really. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but like, yeah, I just feel like a lot of that reaction was simply to do with the fact that Mass Effect Three was a downer ending, and it was those. And I think this was interesting because what this really speaks to is the way that people engage with video games. It's not really as artistic art or story t- stories. They engage with them in terms of d- like, you know, like Skinner boxes. Does this make me yeah. happy? Does this give me exactly. the dopamine drip feed? Yeah, um, it's that like classic thing we've been dealing with for decades now, which is games are. are produced and made mostly as art and they are marketed and sold as products and yes. the reaction you have to a game kind of depends on what you're like you know like do i get enough fun per pound yeah. in this yeah. in this in this purchase i have made? i mean recently i mean i won't spoil it but obviously last of us two um last of us part two incurred a reaction similar to this with the fate of a certain character in the game um, which which deeply upset people and, and incurred this like similar very very similar to Mass Effect yeah. Three and again it was it was not bec- it was not really a criticism of the the storytelling chops which I thought I th- I thought was a tremendous like good storytelling yeah. decision it was really strong 
Um, but again, more to do with, ah, this game didn't make me feel good. Um, but I only found it surprising The Last of Us Part 2 example particularly. I think Mass Effect 3's was al almost doomed to this because they had sort of comp walked back on something in Mass Effect 1. I was reading an article about this in Mass Effect 1. There's a, there's a choice you get to make to, like throughout um, where it's you can you can save this person or that person, but you can't save both. And they sort of repeat this a couple mm -hmm. of times. Um, but the big one is Vermeer. Mm -hmm. But in Mass Effect 2, they give you the choice at the end. It's like, you can save everyone. Like, they don't, they're not up front. They, they talk about the suicide mission, but mm. it's possible to have a perfect outcome where everyone's saved and everything's yeah, good. It is hard to do. Mm. Yeah. Um, but Mass Effect 3, so Mass Effect 3 goes back to the Mass Effect 1 thing. Is like, you can succeed, but there's a significant cost. Mm. But Mass Effect 2 has already sort of set up this, um, you know, expectation that, no, there's a way to beat this and we can get a perfect outcome. Because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, Mass Effect 3 ends where it's like, you don't even know if Shepard's alive. Like... They have a one ending that maybe teases that they are. Yeah. Yeah. You're really making it so I can't play these games. So. <laughs> oh. Sorry. I'm just kidding. It's okay. Um, it's okay. <laughs> but um, they, leave, they leave these things like sort of very open-ended. And I think that's sort of interesting. Um, like, again, it's just, it's just this like, lack of gratification. The only reason it surprised me more with Last of Us Part 2, though, was because I thought the expectation from the first game was that things do not have a happy like the first last of us did not have a happy i mean they both let both both joel and ellie live mm. but it's not like a happy ending by yeah. any stretch no those so are some, those are some miserable games um <laughs> i think it's because i don't know like maybe i'm being really cynical but i feel like gamers it is coming back to that whole thing of oh if this isn't fun then i haven't got my money's worth and like mm. it, fun it feels like especially in this current landscape is oh, that things are like really happy and like it's very, you know, the gunplay is really good. And like, it's it's very like, I guess, rudimentary like forms and definitions of fun, I think. And mm. so if everything just happens like the way that you want it to, then yeah, I guess that's what well, people The funny want. thing and is though. That makes sense. Sorry. sorry. Go on, go no, on. No, go ahead. The funny thing is though, these same people, like think about the popularity of like, mafioso movies and gangster movies mm. and these kinds of things like these same people it, it reminds me of that uh you know that regretful trump voter kind of thing where they're like he's hurting the wrong people like they don't care about stories being sad or people getting hurt or violence or anything it's just they don't like it when it happens to a, basically a white guy basically but i was thinking about it and sort of like it's sort of like you guys are saying about we've talked i think we've talked about it before in the shows of like People conceiving themselves as consumers first and foremost. Even the experience of buying a game, it's not quite like, it's it's not the same as other mediums. Like it, you're buying an experience, so it's like it's almost like going to a theme park and none of the rides work in your mind. You're like, oh, Disneyland wasn't as fun as I thought it was. This is bullshit. And so, I but you're right. You know, in terms of game development, from the development angle, it's produced as as a work of art, and it becomes a product like in the final step. So I often wonder if. You know, it makes me think about uh, like Metacritic even, how much, and maybe you could tell us more about how in, inside the industry, but I've heard a lot of like, you know, things being, you know, dependent on Metacritic scores and, you know, you get a raise if it's this much or not this much. But then Metacritic also becomes like, it almost feels like a sign of, again, like gaming, gamers own impotence, because the most that they feel that they can do is just rage at a game and like review bomb it until its scores go down. Mm -hmm. And they're actually engaging in activism. But they don't think they are because they're anti-SJW. So they're engaging in activism. Like, this is non-activist activism. And the review bombing. And I'm like, how great would it be if we had something like another kind of independent platform 
where people could that could apply pressure to the industry with its like uh, I don't know campaigns mm. or voices or whatever that kind of almost sucked the energy out of that like negativity of Metacritic or I guess you know there could be negative campaigns whatever but just like it becomes such a muddled weird you know thing with the, all the Metacritic bombing so I wonder is there anything you in, hard, inside hard the industry positive review bombing yeah mm. yeah I think um. <laughs> Just um, just not to softball, but just I think I, I we keep saying gamers. And I don't really imply that everyone was like this, and everyone that played Mass Effect three had this, or Last of Us two had this reaction. Those games were largely well received. I think what we're talking about is a very vocal minority generally, um, but they are just incredibly vocal and apparently have nothing better to do with their time than go online. thing to touch on in terms of boycotts though is like just generally how effective they are um and obviously this is a whole range you've got people and um, cg you've touched on it like review bombing um and then you've got people who are calling for games not to be bought or like you are or i think the, the most direct action that tends to happen amongst like really toxic gamers is just sending death threats and stuff to developers um which is pretty horrible but um but yeah, do we do we feel like there's a way to make this work? There's a way to, there's a, there's times when this is appropriate. Like, what do we think? Well, I guess I'll sort of like zoom out on that a little bit and just say, like, ask actually from your perspective and stuff you've seen. How exactly does like review bombing affect the devs? Because like, I, obviously we see it happen, but to see the sort of implications from it, I'm still like quite unsure of. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're an independent developer who is self-publishing a game on Steam uh, and you get review bombed that's maybe the worst thing that can happen to you in terms of like how your game is going to do mm. sales wise um steam reviews steam takes their review system like incredibly seriously steam's algorithm is notoriously opaque no one really knows how it works but like review review scores are important and the it's not just the like average score or whatever it's the percentage of positive reviews you get so you want to be very positive or overwhelmingly positive on Steam, which is like ninety five percent. It's frustrating, right? Because I was thinking, like, if I if I look at a game on Steam, I don't really trust it. But you definitely have that gut reaction. You go on Steam and it says mostly negative. You would immediately think, yeah. "Oh, this is a bad well, game." If it says mixed, I'm like, mm. Mm, "Yeah," and it's like, I should check. Yeah. And yeah, and you, but that's the face value, and that's someone immediately writing off that game. But you don't know what the is behind that because yeah maybe people took issue with the fact that there's a queer character in the game or like any number of things like that and you don't know and steam just puts all that up front yep. and it's like and yes those, bro those those reviews don't like decay over time in terms of how the percentages work so if you're a fairly small game developer and you're you know you're going to put out a game so like our game has 150 reviews total on steam that's all we have if we had got review bombed for some reason and say we got like 100 negative reviews we would just never recover from that. Our game would be, like, you know, mostly negative for mm. forever. And it does, they have started doing a thing where they have, like, an overall and a recent. But I haven't really seen any figures as to whether that makes a big difference. Like, as mm. far as I can tell, if your game says negative on it, people are not going to pick it up on Steam unless they've heard about it from some other source, which is difficult if you're an indie because you don't have marketing budget. It can be hard to reach kind of critics, that kind of thing. Mm. So... Uh, yeah, review bombing terrifies me. Yeah. And I, I know Steam have started to, sorry, Valve, 
have started to introduce uh, tools to help prevent this kind of thing. You can flag reviews as like, um, like suspect and someone from mm. Valve will supposedly review it. Mm. Um, we did have one review we managed to get taken down that was like negative because someone was shouting at me for something I said on Twitter or something. <laughs> um, but uh, for the most part, I don't know if, I mean, Valve are notoriously not uh, responsive uh, yeah. both, both on the customer side and on the developer side it's very hard to talk to anyone at Valve mm-hmm. uh, our game has the um, profile features limited thing that they put on new games and then they, they remove it eventually and ours is still there and I can't talk to anyone at Valve about why that's there and so yeah review bombing scary tools to prevent it happening mostly non-existent mm. uh, there's also there's also the bigger thing as well with um with Metacritic and the way that, like, because you've talked about, I can't, haven't got an example on hand, but I know the developers have talked about, yeah, bonuses are explicitly tied to the Metacritic ring, like whether you get above 85 or whatever threshold. So I think that maybe happened at Rockstar. I could be wrong about that, but there were, definitely were reports of, of that happening where uh, the Metacritic percentage um, was, was tied directly to employee bonuses. Um, it uh, definitely happened uh, for uh, for like me Vegas and Obsidian Entertainment. Uh, mm. They were five points below the threshold to get their bonuses. I know. Wow. I, I, I think a single point. I think they were going to be getting their bonuses uh, if the Metacritic score was ninety and the Metacritic score was eighty nine. Uh, so they didn't get their bonuses. And, I mean, ninety as a target is faintly ridiculous on yeah. Metacritic. I think those review scores that are taken into account for those reasons at least are usually critic scores so you're not i don't think your uh you know your average employees kind of uh livelihood is going to be at risk from a review bombing campaign yeah, from sure. angry gamers on reddit but uh i mean that like tying tying someone's like um financial compensation to the review score that a game gets is kind of not i don't really see that as a terribly ethical thing to do from a worker standpoint unless uh they already like well compensated to begin with, and that bonus is just that a bonus rather than something they are dependent on. For I mean, it seems it seems even preposterous, just like logically. Surely, a bonus situation should be tied to sales, because like, what if what if like say I mean bringing up Fallout New Vegas, what if the what if Fallout New Vegas had hit ninety on Metacritic, but then nobody bought it? Then what make what sense does it even make for the company in that situation to go? Well, we'll give your bonuses. The game didn't sell anything, but we'll give yeah. it. Like it doesn't. Like I'm not. I don't think either example is great. I don't even think tying it to anything. It's like pay your fucking employees yeah. um, a base level, you know. And um, but I, I even as a thing, I was like, I where did that come from? What is is yeah. it the perceived prestige that they want? I don't understand. So I mean, we don't know. I don't know if there are numbers out there about how much a Metacritic score will affect sales um, after the fact. Uh, I do know there's a really good thread on Twitter recently from uh, Mike Rose, who runs Snowball Robots, about um, how Metacritic scores are used to uh, to decide what games get kind of pushed to the top of the Switch, the Nintendo Switch eShop. Oh, so Nintendo are actually reliant on Metacritic scores for this. And that is Jeez. that is terrifying. Yeah. Um, I don't know if those are the critic Metacritic scores or the user Metacritic scores. I suspect it's the critic ones. You'd certainly uh, hope at least. But I mean, my understand. I don't have a game on the eShop, but my understanding is that it's uh, a, a bit like a bit of an uncharted frontier at the minute. There's mm. not really very good discovery on that store. I'm sure you've noticed as a Yeah, user. yeah. Like I was thinking about that because um, I'm trying to buy a bunch of games on my Switch. I'm keeping an eye on sales and stuff, and it is. 
And at first, you look at the top and I'm like, oh, these are the best games. And I thought that. But then I would scroll down. And I'm like, wait, that's one of my favorite games. And it's like all, it's like five pages in. Like, yeah. so how are they figuring this out? So they also do a thing. So it's partly based on sales as well. So mm-hmm. quite often what people will do. And, and you know, they I completely understand why they do this. Is they'll knock 90% off their game on a sale. People will obviously jump at the chance to buy a game for 90% off, even if they've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And it will float to the top of the chart. And then they take the discount off and suddenly it's still at the top of the chart, but people are paying full price for it. I mean I mean if as a as a as a developer, I would definitely I take would advantage of that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like like yeah, that's that's what you gotta do, that's what you gotta do. Like there's no point. But like, so here's oh, here's well, my question fine. though. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna so my question though is that it I because this is important, it's good to know this perspective, but then at the same time, like you know, I think about what what if the gaming equivalent of like birth of a nation you know like one of the old like super racist movies from like the early 1900s came out you know people i would in that situation i would want to say like people should use everything in everything in their toolkit to try and you know pressure the creators and the company to like do something about this or pull it or whatever it is so that's what i was saying before I, not again not that we'll necessarily have an answer now but just what it makes me think of almost like not to get too like galaxy brain about it, but like like labor stuff, you know, there's one one thing is like a single worker withdrawing their labor, going on strike. And another thing is like having a whole group of them in a union that can sort of advocate for you. Do, do you think that there's something about like some kind of loose network of advocacy type groups that could maybe stand in for, because, because we, when we talk about Metacritic scores, we even think about, I think we've talked about this before, how, how much of an easy pass a lot of games get. Like if it's too controversial, if it's too big, like Final Fantasy VII, I think we talk about this in our review. If they're sort of like damned if they do, damned if they don't, and even if they give an, even if IGN gives an honest review, if they can't give it too bad of a score, or they're kind of like fucked. So how is there? There, I wonder if there's some way to create like, to delink it from this like. So it's a movement that both advocates for workers' rights because it's trying to delink their wages from something this like tip system where it's it's connected to this performance thing, but then it's also sort of. I don't know, some kind of independent voice that can help apply pressure where it needs to because, you know, I've, I'm always banging on about freaking Nintendo's netcode, man. Mario Maker 2 should have gotten like 50 scores, 60, 65 <laughs> because it was just unplayable. But like it just got like nines and tens around the board. So how can you do it in a way where it's not like vindictive, but it is like holding people to account, I guess. So I think, I mean, I think like as a critic, my only input into this really is that I think review scores suck. Yeah. I think precisely yeah. for the reason that you pointed out. Because in the situation of Mario Maker, right, presumably the reason it got high scores is because the fundamental game itself is good, right? Exactly. But obviously the netcode prevents you from engaging with the multiplayer options and stuff. And But if you remove the score and just have a review that addresses all that and people read through that, then they get a full rounder perspective of the yeah. game and they don't, you know, rather than going, oh, nine, I'll buy that. And then they buy it. And they're like, oh, I can't play online? What? You know, yeah. I think I think just review scores are bad. And it's not even a question of like, oh, you know, because the response to that is, well, people are just skimming. They just want to know very quickly, should they buy a game? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's why that's why good reviews exist, because a good review should let you know what they thought of a game from the very first paragraph. Like, you should be able to read two sentences and go, oh, this game apparently sounds good, and you can stop reading. Like, and I stand by that. Like, and Or even if you want to, you can flick to the end and read the conclusion and go, okay. You know, I think you don't have to read a score. And I think, and I really question like what do you and on a 10 point scale what, how much information can really be conveyed like you know mm. you know how much 
how much value do you place on like just that like you know does that does that really fill all the things that you need to know about a game before you buy it like it seems pointless and i think yeah the larger thing is yeah because there's this easy go-to of good bad great whatever mm. yeah you, you've got developers are tying bonuses and stuff mm. into it i think I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be my my first point of call. Is just, just scrap scores, get rid of Metacritic, <laughs> and just do actual good reviews that people have to read, engage with, and get more of a rounded idea of a game, so they don't go in with these expectations of. Because I think games, game discourse and hype and marketing generally sits along that line of it's the best thing ever or it's nothing. It's this really stark thing. There is like, there's very, there's no room for, this game is phenomenal, but wow, the the multiplayer side's borked and it's really tough to recommend because that's a fun, you know, like if Dark Souls came out and you were like, phenomenal game, you know, like design and everything, but the multiplayer doesn't work. That's a huge fundamental piece of that game that is now gone and you kind of have to be like, "Mm." not for me, but yeah. Yeah, (laughs) But um, Do you guys think we need like like, performance art? Like we need a number wang Metacritic that just gives games like, this is a thousand fourteen this game is 22 this other game is like 465.6 just to like just to like take the piss out of that whole system that's number one let's just give every score for every video game a 69 out of 10 yes done yes this is it forever we solved it we, we saved solved the it. city done um but i think you you touched on another thing though like developer like reviewers critics just sort of afraid, like almost held hostage by the audience where it's like, you know, like if we joke about this a lot, like no game rate gets rated lower than a 6 out of 10 except in really terrible circumstances. And I think the fact that we don't use that full spectrum is really like choking our discourse and is making it very difficult to have even com- larger conversations about the conditions in which a game is made because the pressure is there to like review these things, give them a good score. There's not a lot of room to be like, you know, like in your review of Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption, you're like, this game was great, but you know, like the situation around how it's made, I'm not sure I want to endorse that. And, you don't, and if you don't have to touch a, a, a score to it, that's just part of your discussion. And there mm-hmm. doesn't have to be hand-wringing about, oh, well, should you lower the score because of the conditions? You don't even have to engage with that. You just have to have this review. It's like, here's the thing. Here's how it relates to how it was made. And you can make an informed decision about whether you support that or not. I think I think a lot of these problems are just down to the the way that we narrow and limit discourse, mm. and we we don't want to have conversations a lot of the time, and but we need to like that's the we need to create those spaces where those conversations can exist. It's kind of like how um, lots of people say uh, like it's it's like how like all of the discourse ever on Twitter is so bad um, because <laughs> people can't really add nuance to their conversations because they have a character limit. Yeah. Uh, and even upping that character limit a tiny bit didn't really do much to like unsour things. Mm. And you you have the situation on Twitter where even when people do long threads, it's like people still pick out the individual thing and like it's really hard. But, but, but I think even in good articles, you have people who read the headline and don't engage with the body. I don't think there's a simple solution to this problem. I think what we are asking for is people to engage in a much more nuanced way with things. That's not an easy thing to ask. But I think, at the very least, the, the the less easy to the the less you provide, that means that they have to engage more. I think is a good step. And I think, yeah, take away scores, take away all this stuff. Like, you know, I but... feel personally attacked, Sam, by your thing about articles because when I've written game articles, they're notoriously like the lead is buried so deep that like people usually stop <laughs> reading after two paragraphs. <laughs> I mean, some, sometimes you want to bury your lead. Like that's no, fine. you're that's right. A device, you're right. But 
you know, but um, but a lot of people just come for the headline. But I think though, to touch on back on what you were saying, though, CG, I think that's why I would like. But I think you were talking about the fact that sometimes these tools are good, and if we take them away, then it's like, okay, now what do you replace them with? What what do you mm. like? You know, how do you make you know like in the situation where a developer is exploitative or you know, like Nintendo, like aren't taking care of their games and they're asking, you're asking so much money for these things. And how do you communicate to them in a way that has an effect? You know, I don't think, I don't think we have a solution to that. No. We um, need a consumer yeah. advocacy body for games that isn't like, you know, a government ombudsman or something. It needs to be one that like gives its own quality assurance stickers and stuff like playable, not playable, <laughs> problematic. It has nothing to do with scores based on labor conditions, based on other things. You know, push that stuff. So we're putting that on the agenda for you to do then. We're gonna build Are you kidding the UK me? consumer advocacy board. I've gotta I've gotta play through the first three mass effects. I don't have time for this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm asking consumer advocacy else to do. must wait. Mass effects. Consumer advocacy must wait so I could be a consumer. <laughs> <laughs> kinda of reminds me a bit of uh, there used to be a website. Uh, I don't know if it still exists. I know there were plans to kind of bring it back, but I don't know if that happened. It's called nomore.org. Hmm. Um, and it was basically a wiki for companies that have been up to bad shit. Oh. Uh, the page for Nike was very long. Um, you know, it's just, so you could look up any kind of corporation. Mm. It was very, you know, it was very US focused, but you could look up, say, any corporation in America and someone would have added links to news stories about um, mistreatment of workers, exploitation, um, that kind of thing, conflict materials. All that mm. kind of thing. Um, and that was a really useful resource. I believe the database from it still exists, but I don't know if the website mm. still exists anymore. But it might be coming back. That's a good idea. Something similar in games would certainly be interesting. It would interesting. be good, yeah. Because I, I, I think then there's like really no excuse in terms of like... Because what we were talking about before is like individual sort of like responsibility for these things. People then don't want to have to think about it. So then we never get to that point of getting into that kind of collective organizing and like that collective action. I think if you then have, you know, the facts kind of spilled out in front of you in like one kind of place, there is really no ignoring that. But mm. at the same time, a lot of this information is like kind of freely available. So yeah. Yeah, what's so what's stopping people? I, I you gotta repackage it, you know, you gotta you gotta mm. do your performance art make it to make sexy. people yeah. yeah sorry what were you gonna say i i don't know if having that like it's still on individuals because it's like yeah. having all that information you know people know about jk rowling's yeah. views right but people are still doing the most interesting like verbal acrobatics to justify why they're going to play the hogwarts game mm. anyway like because they're like well two plus two equals sausages so that means that if i connect <laughs> this to that i'm like girl just say you don't care like the, I, I just play the game like you know <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember what website it was on, so I don't want to say. Um, but there was an article someone somewhere posted, which was the headline was uh, J.K. Rowling not involved with the creation of Hogwarts mm. Legacy. That headline's been everywhere. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's like she's still directly profiting. That from that headline I yeah. really hated because that was the headline, which was what a lot of people would see, and I was like, this is really irresponsible because you're you're implying that this game exists separate of her somehow. Mm. And that is not... Even if she wasn't financially benefiting from it, which she is, even if, even if you know, she apparently the, what they're talking about, she doesn't have any creative input on the game. Um, and even if that is completely true, then 
she still benefits from the fact that Harry Potter and Hogwarts and all this stuff gives the the more the more this stuff is present in popular culture, the more clout she has as a figure. Yeah, it's mind share, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's just like the memes that are like Hatsune Miku wrote uh, Harry Potter. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Let's not do all of that. Yeah, because like, not funny, like even ignoring all of the all of the hideous transphobia um, in the things that uh, J.K. Rowling says, uh, Joanne uh, says, um, like if Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter, then that means Hatsune Miku wrote the whole Gringotts Bank thing with mm. the. With the the greedy goblin bankers. Yep. yep. And the, the one big... Irish character who loves blowing things up. Oh yeah. Thanks yeah, exactly. That. Exactly. <laughs> I mean the book yeah, the book the books themselves are are full of plenty of questionable mm. material. Deeply questionable yeah. material, yeah. <laughs> so I think another so, interesting um yeah. element of the whole thing is um yeah, no, it's not it isn't it isn't just uh like actual capital like the, the royalties that jk rowling would be making from the the existence of this game it's the social capital of loads of people enjoying a product that she has the the sort of like rights to mm-hmm. uh and it's also um if everybody if everybody does what the people who are saying we should buy it to support the developers um that does and they they all go out and buy this game Warner Brothers are going to look at that and go, oh, this is a financially viable um, IP that we should mm. uh, continue to license. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that stuff all has an effect. Yeah, it's um, such a weird, it's like you said, Sam, it's such a weird moment we're in where it's almost like late stage capitalism where you're, if you, you're, it's not even do you want a product or not, you're already under suspicion for not wanting a product. Like what, you, you should be supporting the people who made this product. So you're yeah, already yeah. in like a double bind where you're like, oh shit, what am I supposed to do? I was thinking maybe, I mean, I guess we, you know, I think it's cliche at this point to say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. But, you know, I suppose to the extent that people do engage with it, I've seen it's sort of like the Animal Crossing, you know, protest stuff. Like if people were going to play it, I would love to see them acknowledging these problems. If they're going to, if they're going to stream the game or something, I'd love to like, mm. if you can name your character, I'd love for it to be like, DK says trans rights or something like that, you know, just yeah. to just to like stick in the eye a little bit of of what Joanne represents, you know. Yeah. My question is, is that enough though? Because I feel like people no. use that whole, yeah, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism to excuse some really bad stuff. And I understand obviously yeah. like when you start to think about stuff, like if I sit down and think about like consoles, for example, because obviously with, you know, all of this chat about um, the PS5, the Xbox One, bullshit series whatever the hell x names um no then like you know thinking about the ways that those consoles are made like you know the the minerals that are mined in you know the Mm -hmm. the global south and the Mm -hmm. terrible conditions under which that's done and we talk about this in our ghg show which is available on youtube for your perusal um yeah like i think after that point it's like yeah this this starts to sort of make me sad and i don't know what the answer is to sort of circumvent that and be better about it but at the same time, though, I feel like there is we keep going back to this, but there is like personal responsibility that we can take. I don't think it's enough to be like, oh, well, I know she's terrible. I'm still going to buy and support this game. Yeah. I think probably one solution to that would be pirating it. Like if you were that desperate to play it, which why would you enough of the wizards? <laughs> God damn it. Like no more. Um <laughs> Like, Enough of all these fucking like Tory <laughs> private school students. Oh, I, um, I just sticks. Just, just to quickly plug, isn't there that like not 
not made by Joanne game uh, Witchbrook. Oh yeah, Witchbrook, like it's an like actual a, good. It's like a little yeah. indie, like because basically before they announced this, I presume mm-hmm. somebody was like, "Hey, we should make a game like this," and they've done that. Yeah. So hey, if you want a game like to fulfill that fantasy, and I don't know why that's your fantasy, but I'm not going to judge. Go do that. Um, my fantasies are definitely way worse. Um, you can yeah, Witchbrook is a game made by Chucklefish. Yeah. So, um, so you can go and like so there you go there's one you can go and buy the, I mean it's not going to have all the glossy AAA values whatever but if, you, if you're that keen on that then you can avoid having the like you can have, avoid having money go to mm. Joanne so there you go but um, but I think also there's so many games you can just not buy a game, mm. um, and I don't I don't and again I said this at the time I don't want to be like well if you buy this game you're a terrible person because I don't I don't think that and a lot of people are probably going to buy this game regardless, but I think it's important to get the mindset of well everyone's going to buy it so it doesn't matter because it's like no you've got to believe mm. that you can change things and it is possible because if you don't then we never will so you got to do that and you know I think. I would definitely love it if this game did not do well. If yeah. if hard politics harmed this in a way that... Because be, that would presumably start to have a ripple effect. And if the next Fantastic Beast movies doesn't do well, I would love there to be this right. If there was, if there was meal, real tangible repercussions, and as you were saying earlier, CG, that had this ripple effect of not just affecting her wealth, which is probably negligible at this point. She has so much money. She's never going to be really hurt, meaningfully hurt by this. But rather that her social capital begins to diminish as companies don't work with her, you know, people don't collaborate with her. You know, the stars of Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint. Rupert Grint. Ron Weasley. Nearly forgot his name. They all came out against, you know, like, against reviews and stuff. And, like, so I think, like, you're already seeing a little bit of that. So I would love I would love to see that. That's, that's what's going to really, like, remove that and diminish that. Um, okay, I've got, here's no, the idea, guys. No. This is the hot, oh. oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I want to hear the hot take. Go for the hot take. I want to hear your hot take. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but you can kind of, it's not a, it's not a yes or no, it's a, a long, a long what scale yeah. am I comfortable mm. with? Yeah. Um, we mentioned Chucklefish there. You know, Chucklefish are a studio I really love. I really love the things they make, but they have been called out in the past for uh, exploiting the labor of unpaid teenagers mm-hmm. uh, quite a long time ago. So you kind of have to decide at what levels are you comfortable with yeah. things. I don't, Boycotting is such a, I don't know. It's, no, it's I think all, it's, it's I all think, on the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. I think I, I think what I generally try to encourage is like do do something, like just do something, like start there, like just don't don't conjure yourself into just not well no because people say no ethical consumption under capitalism is oh that means it doesn't matter what I do mm. and it's like no that's not what it means no. it's more like just acknowledge that there is there is only there is only so far you can go in certain places and acknowledge that but that doesn't mean do nothing you know yeah a no ethical consumption under capitalism isn't like an excuse it's mm. uh it's a sort of statement to get you thinking about things. Yeah, it's like knowledge. Yeah. Hey, there's there's no there's nothing you can touch that isn't poisoned by the well of capitalism. Mm. Maybe we should fix that. Like that that is a call to action. It's not an excuse. Yeah. Like before we move on, what were so you? So here's was your my hot, hot take idea. You? Okay, so y- the whole point is trying to shift the discourse, right? And even you know boycotts, even on a local scale, you know you can shift a local supermarket from selling a particular kind of hummus and to take on you know selling Palestinian olive oil. And that might not affect. I'm just gonna you know, just gonna say Sainsbury's things, actually has dropped the hummus at Lake, so I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> oh that there you go. 
Well, so but you can create ripple effects even in a local area that actually does affect a larger conversation because you can imagine there could be a news story about that thing that happened. Why did it happen? Why do these people believe this? So here's the concept, all right? And I'm not taking responsibility for this. It's called <laughs> byjoanne.org, okay? And it's a multi-level project. And first of all, it's a game jam, okay, where you solicit people to make, you know, at a certain date or week, a bunch of games inspired by the idea of the Harry Potter universe, but taking the piss out of out of Joanne. Then you also have, I don't know, some kind of list of demands where you're like, if this game is going to be released, so, you know, negotiate high, stuff that you don't even think is going to happen, but just to put it in the discourse, none of the profits, she should get none of the royalties. Something something that's going to force them to have to respond to that. Then you have another thing of like, just make it a, make it a melting pot of ways to affect the conversation so that whenever this game is discussed you have to mention like byjoanne.org because it's just it's generating too much conversation and then that might be able to turn the idea of the boycott from something of like feeling impotent to like actually there's like loads of people doing this so if if i don't do it there's actually thousands of other people who are also not doing it you can kind of generate conversation and you know within gaming if you can turn your gaming group in that direction that's not a small feat you know, 20 or 30 people or whatever it is on a Discord server, that generates a mentality and like a, a mindset, you know? So, by so what you're suggesting, what you're suggesting, CG, is that we form an anti-JK Rowling union. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and set, up a, set up an anti-Joanne picket line. Well, and, and then solicit people from the Harry Potter fandom who actually have probably developed the fandom even better than she has. You know, and and make it more inclusive and amazing. You know, yeah. Like I think, like sort of, you like build this thing of like, hey, divorce, not not divorcing it from her, but re like attaching her property to like a sentiment against her. Like not just oh, we can make Harry Potter that doesn't involve her. No, no, it's like specifically. Let's just make sure that anytime you want to have a conversation about this stuff, this stuff is prescient and in mind. Okay, so I think we've been talking a lot about the consumer side and critics, and I think it's probably worthwhile mentioning in terms of developers, people that work at studios, and how and sort of the mechanics of how that works. Because as I understand it, a lot of people that probably are working on this Hogwarts Legacy game did not necessarily sign on to that project. There's probably a lot of people that just joined the studio, and then the studio picked the project they would work on. So you know, like. So that, that becomes a question of, okay, if you're boycotting this game, you know, how does that affect people that didn't really have a choice and stuff? Mm. Or would you say that, like, you know, is there a responsibility for developers, like, when they, if a project comes up that they don't agree with, they should quit? Like, which is obviously a hard thing to ask as someone. I, uh, there, there are so many different sort of circumstances for this. Um, yeah. So the way that games based on properties, like, like uh, Wizarding World, I think is the name of the sort of the aegis that all of this stuff comes under um the way that games based on properties like that get made is typically a studio will bid for the license um so this is like we see this happen with uh warhammer games like we get warhammer games made by studios all over the world mm. all sorts of different studios have nothing to do with each other no shared publisher or anything like that um and they will bid for the warhammer license um with wizarding world i'm not quite sure how that will will have gone down internally so 
I believe there are a few game studios owned by Warner Brothers, the like overall company who own the, the Harry Potter mm. trademark, at least the films and probably films and games, I guess. Yeah. Um, don't know about merchandising, don't know how that works. But um, maybe maybe this project was given to, to it was WB Montreal or the ones making the, <laughs> so, the, the so, yeah. Hogwarts game. Yeah, so could have been this project was assigned to them by their... The, the, the parent company uh, it could have been that they bid for this uh, this property uh, against other studios owned by Warner Brothers like Rocksteady or Rocksteady Warner Brothers I think Rocksteady Monolith mm. um, there's a few so there's a few so it may have been uh, it may have been one of these companies it may have been given to them we, we, we don't know uh, in terms of how individual developers end up working on these things um, typically that's not something an individual developer has any say over, like what uh, what properties a studio is going to bid for. If you're being hired to a studio, um, often you won't be told what kind of game you're going to be working on until very late in the hour. Kind of depends what kind of setup they have during the interview process with non-disclosure agreements, that kind of thing. But often you will be interviewing for a studio rather than to work, you know, work on a game, uh, unless that studio is making like a lot. So you know, if I interview for Bungie, for example, I know I'm probably going to be working on Destiny. Um, but if it's a, a game that hasn't been announced, um, then you, you don't you don't know. Mm. Um, so that's how you know an individual developer can end up working on that. And in terms of like, should a developer like leave? Um, it depends on the developer. It depends on their situation. It depends if they're how financially dependent they are on that that job at that studio. Um, it depends on how easy it would be for them to go and you know you know that old like oh, why don't you just go and get another job? It's really hard. Really yeah. hard games, yep. especially right now. Yeah. I mean, games is quite small as well, and I imagine that even if you're in a situation where, say, Hogwarts Legacy, you decide, you know what, I refuse to work in this. I'm gone. Um, you presumably end up in a situation where like it, it becomes it's not just hard finding another job it's going to be more difficult presumably because that will one way or another reflect badly on you unfairly it, I would say but. It, it could well do like different companies have different rules about what you can and can't say when you leave so a lot of a lot of people won't be allowed to publicly say why they left the company if they leave mm -hmm. over a disagreement of that because there'll be NDAs in place or they'll have a some kind of no compete clause or similar in their contract which prevents them from speaking out in that way um yeah, there is also the, as you mentioned, games is small. People know each other. People talk to each other. You potentially burn on some bridges. Um, yeah. But it's just down to the individual whether you decide that it's... There's also the situation it. that comes up a lot of like developers not being credited if, they do, if they're not there when the game finishes. That yep. comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. I know developers who have been in the industry for 10 years and do not have a single game on their like movie games page yeah. or whatever because they've left during development or they've worked Jeez. for years on a project that was under NDA and never announced and then cancelled. This kind of thing does happen quite a lot. So uh, so heartbreaking. I have a question. Um, uh, it, it's kind of, it's to do with the argument that like a lot of people have been doling out, which is, uh, oh, you need to buy this Harry Potter game um, because otherwise the developers will get fucked. Um, like, how prevalent because I, I i always operated under the assumption that um if you're working at a studio uh, like obviously ignoring like the situation with bonuses being measured up to like like the the success of a game critically or like sales wise or whatever um it was always my assumption that when you're working for like especially a studio um owned by a company like Warner brothers that you're pay isn't necessarily going to change based on how much the game sells or am i wrong there i i don't know i don't know if it's like a wildly different thing depending on what sort of what area of the industry you're looking at um, yeah 
so I can only speak from the perspective of like a like a programmer or a producer, um, which is what I do. But uh, in terms of salary, no, the, that your salary is probably not going to be affected by that kind of thing. Um, what might happen, unfortunately, though, is I think we've seen it happen a few times with studios owned by the likes of EA, where a game doesn't do well and that studio will just get folded. Mm. Um, that does not necessarily yeah. mean that all those workers lose their jobs. They may get brought into other studios. Um, uh, EA does this a lot. They move uh, they move their human resources around uh, quite a bit um, and developers will move between studios and things. Um, but it's you know it's not a guaranteed thing, and it could be the situation where if a game, um, you know, financially is not successful, then that studio might uh, might get folded. And unfortunately, in these cases, you do often see it's the people who had the most responsibility for that game's failure. You know, the people, maybe the directors, um, who will probably be the people who are more safe. Yeah. And the ground staff, the floor staff, will uh, will have to go, go elsewhere and seek employment elsewhere. But I think. I don't know if that's enough of a reason to not uh, boycott a game if you you know if you fundamentally disagree with something about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I think. I think with big studios, I think like there's. I think like the idea of like killing a game with a boycott or whatever is probably or, or rather killing the studio in question is probably only more relevant to like smaller studios or particularly independent stuff independent games developers i don't i don't think that the same reality yet as you've just said yeah i don't think that same reality exists for big studios especially i mean we're i mean we're not even talking about a big studio. we're talking about warner they are massive like mm. you know and i i don't know the perspective of the people working on it but i i mean talk about human resources and the question is like uh, would 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 the result be that they would view the studio as a failure, or would the result be they review they would view the game, the property as a failure, and they would move on from that? And I mean, we don't know, and I don't know, we don't know. and we, we and we we can only test that theory. Um, <laughs> but like, let's find out. Let, let's find out. Um, but we don't know, and so I th I think people would dole it out. And again, as we, we go back through, this is people jumping through loopholes to sort of justify it to themselves. And I'll say again what I said at the time, which was like. You can buy like if you buy the game, fine, but just don't kid yourself into thinking that there's a some sort of moral high ground for buying it. Like just say I value my personal entertainment over this particular topic. Just say that. It's fine. And I don't think piracy is even a, a viable path to go down in many cases nowadays because so many games make money from you while you're playing it, not mm. at the point of purchase. And any, any Would you mean like microtransactions? Any microtransactions, or? any in game mm. purchases, they're gonna go directly to uh, yeah. the publisher there there's you know there's no way around that really as long as the game remains a live service game do we know this game is going to be like that i don't that? know enough about it yet but i mean i i can imagine there'll be something in it but by by the extra the extra ones cosmetic dlc yeah. you just but <laughs> That's i mean it's going to be the thing i'm actually thinking because um, warner brothers other game they did um middle earth shadow mordor yeah um the the game that is so tonally dissonant with Lord of the Rings is oh, incredible. It, it made me very angry. But um, <laughs> but uh, but the this the shadow the shadow war one. What was interesting was um, I was looking on it because I got it because it's on Game Pass. So mm. I was like, oh, I could play that. I fancied, but particularly I was like, I wanted to play as the 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 cool elf lady. I was like, that might be fun. And I was like, oh, that's DLC which you have to buy separately. Mm. So I started looking through. There is so much microtransactions and DLC yep. and currencies and stuff, and you're just like. This is impenetrable. Like so, that game. I remember at launch, it was 
you would like this is a you know this is a premium game to be clear this is a game you pay what 50 quid for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. your xbox came out with the xbox one x it Mm. was the flagship title for that uh console and people were buying this game and then hitting a brick wall a few hours in where they were finding it really difficult to progress in the game without spending money Mm. my understanding is that that stuff was patched out to the point where it was almost invisible um pretty soon after launch but like that is, uh, that is i do remember that happening yeah yeah but that is the state the game launched in mm. that, that's, that's a good point yeah. though because we haven't even brought up loot boxes or anything and if you want to look at an, an, an example of a phenomenon where the mass of the gaming public actually was kind of behind it and it kind of actually worked and it's still i think working is the outrage over loot boxes which translated into like actual legislation and then different countries like Belgium and then mm-hmm. you know different countries are considering like putting labels on games and it's mm-hmm. forced the conversation because it was so egregious even just compared to regular microtransactions that there were actually there are there are large amounts i think it's a fairly uncontroversial opinion even if you're like an apolitical gamer in today's climate to say yeah i don't i don't buy games with loot boxes and that's understood as like a good thing so there are like ways in which that it penetrates that like larger the word i'm looking for zeitgeist or whatever to like to actually become a thing that it feels like a cultural movement and it and it has effects so like i would love to see a future where you know developers are shamed into not putting loot boxes into their games i don't know if we're quite there yet but i think maybe that's getting there Mm. yeah i think i want i guess though the success of loot boxes because it has a direct impact on an individual consumer right like everyone hates everyone i mean just fundamentally everyone hates having to pay more money like, that's just a fact. And if you do that, then you're going to piss them off. And, like, it's very hard to justify. Like, I, I know people speak very positively expansions and stuff, but e- even, like, DLC in general is still... I think a lot of the facets of, light, like, games as services has been normalized to agree. I think, make, yeah. I think like, loot boxes and stuff, there's a lot of frustration, but microtransactions seem to be... People have seemed to... Like, Destiny is full of, like, that stuff of, like... It's you know, to say, I can't really comment on this, given uh, the amount of money the test. I mean... <laughs> I'm not judging anyone who's like used it, but it but it definitely has reached a point. There was definitely an outrage at one point because I remember Dead Space Three had a like currency that you could pay for to buy salvage or whatever the but fuck. Then it even was. like I do not claim to know anything about football, but like even like FIFA and like the Ultimate Team and like yeah, but, and that's yeah. how the game is advertising. And I'm like, why are people still buying this? But then so we, I saw something last week where now we have a few very high profile FIFA players saying mm. they won't stream. Oh wow. Oh wow! It, which is quite there we go, that's and that's like up. that's that's, that's a big deal up. because FIFA streamers pull in like especially on like YouTube, they pull in so many it's viewers huge, and like yeah. it's it's massive. So that's it's actually a pretty huge deal. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm, this is totally outside my little field of yeah. expertise. That's great. So what you're um, saying is we need to couch the JK the Joanne thing as Joanne is the loot box of this like situation, <laughs> and then then gamers will get annoyed at it and they'll stop engaging, right? Yeah, yeah, like JK Rowling to trans people is like 50 loot boxes. <laughs> oh my god, so many loot boxes. <laughs> it's um but I think but I think it's like, it becomes frustrating though, yeah, because because of that like it's stuff that directly impacts is is very easy to get motivated. But I think the thing the positive to take from this is as you were saying CG, this is proof it works though, right? And it's proof it's feasible, it's proof it can happen. It's just about motivating people. It's just about giving them the thing that's going to like, you know, spark and ignite that. It's not. 
it's not a case of, oh, yeah, millions of people, they will never be motivated to make an outrage that will last and have an impact. We, mm. It happens. And you can even influence mm. people like FIFA streamers at the top and influence them from, from doing this. So I think it's like, the, so even though, like, yeah, the loot boxes are kind of a, a frustrating example because you, maybe it's only got the traction because of the direct impact, it is nonetheless proof that it can happen. Mm. So, yeah, loot boxes are maybe the yeah, the seed of, like, so look at that and how that's <laughs> worked great. and how it's affected developers, and maybe that's the, the root of something. Um, and if you have thoughts on how to start the revolution in video games, <laughs> um, please send those. Um, you can email us at glasshouse.games. You can tweet us. Community. And you can also... Community. What did I say? Just said at. <laughs> at. You can just tweet us. Uh, email us at community at glasshouse.games. And you can tweet us at GHG Show. You can also comment underneath this video. Um, and... And yeah, so, um, and also please, please support us on Patreon. Um, we've got a lot of cool stuff on there. We've got more cool stuff on the way. So if you like what we do and you'd like to see even cooler stuff that we do, then please support us on Patreon. Um, um, has anyone got you, you, a Bear Waves, anything mm-hmm. you want to give a shout out to? Uh, yeah, I run a little game studio called Bear Waves and we have a game out called Feud and it's a free 2D abstract board gamey thing and it's on Steam and Itch and mobile. So please, mm. please go and play that. It's, um, it's really good. I put it in my Itch bundle best of. Did. Thank yeah. You. Feud's really good. Go check it out. Um, you got anything you want to, you want to plug right now, Shay? Stop playing this damn... Stop caring about these damn wizards. I'm like, just put it down, man. <laughs> it's enough. Read another you know, <laughs> You're not going to reach the youth book. that way, Shay. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will. I'm going to make that my mission. <laughs> read another book. Or read no books. Commit to the smooth brain Look, lifestyle like if me. You, if, you need, if you do need wizards in your faction, go and read Tales from Earthsea. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a good job. Much, much better books. Um... So, uh, thanks for joining me, everyone. Um, I'd like to thank um, our very special guest, Joel, for joining us thank today. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you to Shay. You're welcome. I am. <laughs> um, thank you to CG. By Joanne.org. And uh, thank you to Astrid as well for... I got a new pair of... Um, I oh! Got, I got a new pair of jogging bottoms from Asda. I uh, just thought everyone would like to know that. Love that. We definitely Ending needed that hot content. Um, <laughs> thank you for thank you for your contribution today, and also thank you for making sure nothing exploded during this entire record. Um, so great work. It's quite all right. You know, keeping the fires from you know overtaking the whole studio is really difficult mm. task. So well done. Yeah, the um, secret is that uh, five people have died since this recording started, and <laughs> I've just been keeping it all at bay. Well, we haven't we haven't noticed. So that's that's the true 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 engine at work Good. here. Um, and also a thank you to Dancy Parts for the music. I'm Samantha Greer, and we'll talk again soon. Bye.